Proverbs are proffered to promote productivity. Proverbs views the home not primarily as a place of consumption, but Proverbs views the home as a place of production. Proverbs then views us, views humanity, not primarily as consumers, instead as producers. Proverbs are proffered to promote productivity. Today I want us to consider the verses that I've set before us here in these pages. I want us to consider these verses and the idea of productivity under four headings. First of all, the assumptions of production, the objects of production, the labor of production, and then increasing production. For some of this, for some of you, I hope this doesn't feel too much like you just spent another day in the office and you just got a management pep talk. But I do hope we hear from the Lord and what he has to say about these things. Let's begin with this. What does the word say? What does Proverbs teach us about the assumptions of production? First of all, first verse of the, well, first words that are spoken to humanity. It is printed on the front of your bulletins this morning. The first thing that God says to us, be fruitful. The assumption of God from the beginning is that what he creates produces and reproduces. That's how it works. The living God creates and those things produce and reproduce. And that certainly includes children and grandchildren and families and things like that to populate and fill the earth, but it is in no way limited to children. Now let me just say this, I don't want to have to say this throughout the sermon, and I, I, I know this is a reality. To be sure, we consume. To be very clear about that, we consume. God created trees, fruit-bearing trees, and later on gave animals and other things for food. We consume things, but we consume in order to be enabled to produce. Consumption is good in that God has given it to us, and these are good things that he has given to us to be enjoyed, but consumption is not the end. Production is the end. Let's say it simply. We eat fruit to bear fruit. The Bible considers us to be necessarily and essentially producers. Look at verse uh, 1414, page 6. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Now, there's a lot of words that Proverbs uses to describe the backslider, the sluggard, or the slack hand in that first verse from chapter 10 that is there. They produce, they actually produce something, and they produce as you would expect 
to put it in the words, in, in the language of Genesis, those who are slack in their hand, those who are sluggards, those who are backsliders, produce after their kind. They reproduce like themselves, after their kind. They produce poverty, they produce troubles, they produce anxiety, or to put it in this language, the language of Proverbs 14, they produce the fruit of their ways after their kind. In contrast, so the, the sluggard has many names, so does the contrast. In contrast, the righteous, the good man, the virtuous woman, the prudent son, the hand of the diligent, whatever you want to call that set of people, and Proverbs calls them all the things that I just said, they also produce. What they produce is they produce flourishing. They produce things like the green leaf described in verse 28 of chapter 11. They produce riches. They produce bread. And they don't produce the tree of life in the Genesis 1 and Revelation sense of the term, or Genesis 2 and Revelation sense of the term, but they produce like the tree of life. In the way that the tree of life produces, they likewise produce in this world. So the assumption is made that both the sluggard and the diligent produce fruit according to their ways. The assumption, in other words, is that we are fundamentally producers. Good or bad, good product, bad product, good fruit, bad fruit, we produce. A second assumption. A second assumption, as seen kind of in these Proverbs passages, and we could go to plenty of other places of Scripture as well, is that production takes place in and around the home. And fruit, whether it is good fruit or whether it is bad fruit, is manifest in the home and is created with the hands. The hands are the things that are pointed out over and over. In an ancient culture, and it's good to think about this just for a moment, we're all aware of this fact, but it's good to just say it and go, okay, that makes a difference in how I'm understanding these things and how I'm going to apply them. But in an ancient culture, when you went to work, you didn't get in your car and drive 20 minutes or 45 minutes and go to your office and spend the day working in your office and then drive 20 minutes, 45 minutes back home and kick back. That wasn't the way it worked. Work and productivity emanated from and orbited around the home and the family. And the family was involved in the work of that family. Now that was the assumption, that was the way it was through most of human history. Our work and our family and our homes are all linked together for most people. Now, the Industrial Revolution changes all of that. The Industrial Revolution makes a new kind of work possible, and I'm not going to spend any time going through how this works and why in the history of the Industrial Revolution and industrialization, but we should at least be aware of two significant differences that take place post-Industrial Revolution for us that are different from the way that the rest of human history has worked. One of those is very simple, it's what I'm saying. 
The Industrial Revolution has created a separation between work and home that didn't exist before. Those two things were seen oft times together, and now there's a distinction between those two things. We go to a place to work, because when you bring everybody together to do that job, it is more efficient and more productive. The second thing that we should be aware of is that the abundance of product and the material wealth that flowed from the Industrial Revolution, both of these things together, the separation of home and work and the abundance that was created by the Industrial Revolution, contribute to us being viewed as and viewing ourselves and our homes more as places of consumption rather than places of production. So when I'm at home, I'm not working, I'm consuming. And therefore, everybody identifies me as a consumer. Home is a place of leisure. We consume at home, we shop from home, we consume entertainment from home, we consume energy at home, we consume food at home that is generally produced and grown someplace else, and we consume it in our homes. Now, this is not, I, I'm, I'm not for the establishment in this sermon, just to be clear, of some kind of Amish community. Uh, I'm not for trying to somehow turn back the Industrial Revolution and go to some greater, more wonderful age. We cannot change these things, but I at least think that it is critical for us to see the shift that takes place and then to say, okay, I understand that there's no going back. There's no way to turn this around and somehow go back to another age. But within then this culture, within this moment, this historical moment, how can we restore some of the biblical idea, the biblical assumption of the idea of production and productivity being associated with the home and with the family? So, okay, so here are the assumptions then, just to say them quickly. One assumption, we all bear fruit. Second assumption, fruit bearing and production begins at home with the work of our hands. Now, a provisional conclusion, a corollary that then flows from that is therefore it is true that we are more satisfied when we are producing than when we are consuming. We'll leave that one there and we'll come back to it in just a few moments. What then are the objects of production? What should we be making in our, let's say it this way, in our home businesses? If the home is envisioned as a production facility, what is the product that we should be making there? How will we know if we're doing it correctly? In Proverbs, in these passages that are before us, you've got these summary statements of what is being produced. So we see that riches are being produced, that fruitfulness is being produced. You have representative things that are being produced. 28.19 tells us that whoever works his lamb will have plenty of bread. And then, of course, the, the things that the virtuous woman is producing in Proverbs 31 are, are too numerous for me to begin to say right now exactly what all of them are. 
But those are the things that are produced in these homes and these lives and these families of ours. And I included the Eighth Commandment from the Shorter Catechism uh, because I think for our modern evangelical ears, it's a little bit shocking to read that we have a biblical command, this is the section of what is required by the Eighth Commandment, that we have a biblical command to procure and further the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and of others. That command is given to us. We have a, to put it in language of the sermon today, not just procure and further, we have a biblical command that is laid upon us to produce wealth. What should you be making in your home? Wealth. Now, to answer this question fully, we've got to zoom out a little bit. Uh, and, and obviously, the amount of things that are producing are beyond what we could say in one sermon. But we are called, when we zoom out biblically, to produce things in our homes like godliness and faithfulness and love. We are called to be producing in our homes shalom. We should be producing peacefulness in our homes, the fruit of the Spirit, producing virtue in our homes. Uh, I, I'm not going to turn to it right now. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about the, the fruit of the lips, thankfulness being the fruit of the lips that praise Him. We should be producing worship in our homes. We should be producing thankfulness in our homes. In our homes, we should be making disciples. We should be producing sanctification in our homes. And to be very clear, to say what I skipped over quickly uh, earlier, we should be producing children in our homes. For those of us who are so called and so enabled by God, we should be producing godly children. We should be, in the words of the psalmist there in 1130, we should be in our homes capturing souls. Capture souls, first in the home, your spouse's soul, your children's soul, your grandchildren's soul, and then that home itself can be a place of capturing souls. There's a, there's a uh, woman I know who's heard from a number of young Christian men, this seems as good a place as any to uh, relate this, who have said, I don't want to have children. I may want to get married, but I never want to have children. And I want us to hear clearly from the Word of God. If, if, if you have the gift of singleness and of celibacy, or if by God's providence you're physically unable to have children, okay. But that statement, without those two things, without one of those two things going on, is a violation of a biblical command. You long to see churches full, have children. You long to see a godly generation raised up, multiply. You've got the biblical command to do that and to capture their souls for Christ. Now, we produce other things as well in our homes. We can produce objects that are practical and useful. The Proverbs 31 woman, all of those things are incredibly useful that she is producing in the home. We can have vegetable gardens in our homes. Uh, 
I won't point out who, but there's a couple of people here who now have chicken coops in their, uh, in their homes and are producing eggs in their, uh, in their homes. We can produce practical things in our homes, useful things, and we can produce in our homes things that are beautiful as well. We can produce music and art and poetry. You can produce delicious food in your home, not just sustaining food, but delicious food in your home. Home, a place of production, of things useful, of things beautiful. And just so you know where I'm getting those categories, those come right out of Genesis, where God's own creation is described as, on the one hand, he produces trees that are good for fruit, and he produces other trees that are pleasing to the eye. Two categories of things there. And then we can combine those two things together. We can produce beautiful things. We don't just produce for ourselves. We produce for others. We produce for the glory of God. One of the reasons that I, that you, are called to produce wealth is for us to be able to open our hands willingly to those who are in need. But the ability to do so assumes production. I have to have productivity in my life if I'm going to give. If I'm going to give to those who are in need, if I'm going to give to the church and support the work of growing the kingdom in a particular way, I have to be a producer, a procurer, a procurer of wealth to be able to do that. So Christians, here's the question, the question that I have for you, one of them coming out of the sermon today. In your homes, in your families, what are you actively and intentionally producing? You're producing. You have no choice. Okay? Oh, to be a human is to produce. You're producing one kind of fruit or another kind of fruit. What are you actively and intentionally producing in your home, homes? There's a movement that is afoot right now that's kind of a, a retro movement. It's kind of a push against mass consumption and industrialization and, and farming practices and, and things like that. And, and the movement is what can we do at home? What can we produce in terms of food at home, in terms of things and stuff at home? Now, I think that movement, frankly, has some unhealthy extremes to it because as Christians, we're not called to get out of this world. We're not called to check out of a modern economy. You know, forget about technology, forget about medicines, forget about advanced care and things like that, and just go garden in your backyard. We're not called to do that. But if we can avoid the extremes of something like that, perhaps I'm just going to check out and not really provide as much as I could, not procure as much wealth as I could. Avoid the extremes, yet there's something really good in that movement. In my, as, uh, in my sermon, as I was making notes on my sermon, I was using a pen that Tim, my son, had given me because he's addicted to following stuff like this. But, but some guy made it on a lathe. You know, it, it wasn't made by Parker. It wasn't made by uh, any of the other big fancy pen mark manufacturers. But, uh, but a guy in his shed making a pen on a lathe in a particularly unique kind of way. Now, that said, it has a Parker cartridge uh, in it. So 
Uh, you, you, you gotta live in this world. But there's something that stimulates us about those things. All right, so that's the product. What are we to make? What, about, what can we say about the labor of production? What, what can we say about that from these passages that are before us and from the Bible as a whole, the labor of production? What we can say very simply is that if you are going to be a producer, if your home is going to be a place of production, well then hard work is required. The sweat of the brow is required. And remember, before the world, before the world was plunged into sin and darkness and decay and death, and before the ground was cursed, it still needed a special creation by God, humanity, to take care of it, to invest in it, to develop its fruitfulness for the glory of God. How much more so is that true after the fall? Now here's a place where I think we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest as Americans in living at this moment, in this time, in this culture, we've got to be honest and admit to ourselves that consumption comes more easily to us than production. There are so many avenues that are open to us for consumption. It isn't as satisfying all of us inherently know, just to take a very simple example, you grow one tomato plant at home, it produces one tomato. Which is more satisfying to you? That one tomato that that one plant produces at your work or the one that you buy at the store? All of us inherently know that to produce is more satisfying. And yet, we have to admit that consuming seems to us to be so much easier. Inertia and just plain old laziness. They lurk in each one of us. In our passages that are before us today, they're pictured, at, uh, verses 10, 4, and 5, a slack hand. A slack hand causes poverty, or one who sleeps. Or if, if you look down a, a little bit further in it, you see that the one who pursues worthless pursuits, 28, 19, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now, we could imagine a little bit about what worthless pursuits were at the time of Proverbs. I don't know how we, it wouldn't be fair to say that worthless pursuits have multiplied in our day and age. We have an endless supply of worthless pursuits. Folding of the hands, right? Folding of the hands leads to this. And in contrast with that, we have those who are described, the Proverbs 31 woman, almost all of the verses that I quoted here, save one of them, talk about her hands. She has diligent hands, she has willing hands, she has fruitful hands. And the diligent one works his land. To do so, whether you be man or woman, doing this work. To do so is to be virtuous. And that virtuous word that is used to describe the woman in Proverbs 31 is a word that relates to strength, valor, to do that work. To do so is to be diligent. Verse 10, 4, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Let me just be clear with something again that I said at the very start of this sermon. 
A call to diligence is not a denial of grace. It is not contrary to the gospel. Instead, it assumes the empowerment of the gospel. It is the fruit that comes from the gospel, to use the same language. There's a mantra in our day that tells people, particularly young people or people who are frustrated with their current job situation, do what you love. What should I do? You should do what you love. And then your work won't be work. That's very romantic. There's, there's a part of me that in my romantic part of me wants to say, that's lovely. I, I love the way that sounds. The problem is it's just not true. In the first place, many of us, most of us, cannot be gainfully employed in doing whatever that thing is that we love. But besides that, if we did the thing that we love, if the thing that we love was the thing that became our work, well, you can rest assured that there is no way that that continues to be productive without diligence, without self-sacrifice, without delayed gratification, without self-denial. The best job that you can possibly get will include days when you will hate it. Kids hear that. Just hear it. Because there could be an illusion in your mind that says, I just have to find the thing that I love and then everything will be well. It is a cursed world. And in a cursed world, the best jobs will be days of vanity and days of chasing after the wind. I don't care what it is. In fact, I don't care if it's my job. And I love my job and I feel called to my job. And there are days when I go, that's a reference I can't use. Uh, I go, Lauren, you got the number of that trucking company? I think I'm going to need that. If you want to ask me later, I'll tell you the, uh, the movie that that's from. It doesn't matter what it is. It's true for your employment. It's true for your parenting. It's true for your schoolwork. It's true for your chores. It's true for your hobbies. And it's true for your spiritual life. It won't be every day that you want to pray. It won't be every day that you want to read your Bible. It won't be every day that you want to share the gospel with somebody. It won't be every Sunday where your just greatest delight is to come to church. Diligence and hard work and self-denial and discipline. Fruitful production requires overcoming laziness with diligent work. you got to carry in your toolbox, a couple of hardworking proverbs when you head off into a windy day of vanity. And there are a lot of windy days. And finally, how do we go about increasing production? A few brief suggestions. Parents, if, if work used to be associated with the home, and is no longer. There yet remains a burden for us who live in this affluent society to teach our kids how to work, to give our kids work to do. We have to be a little bit more creative now. I mean, in another day, it might have been quite obvious that everybody needs to work to make this family productive. It's not quite as obvious in our day. 
but we've got to find work for our kids to do and let them enjoy the fruit of that labor. Secondly, examine your spiritual life. Ask yourself this, have you become a spiritual sluggard? Have you started to go through routines in your spiritual life without periodically checking and asking, am I bearing any fruit? Spiritually, as well as literally, we are called to be productive. We are called to be fruit bearers. And so on behalf of the Lord, are you bearing fruit? Spiritually speaking. And if you're not bearing fruit, spiritually speaking, if you're not bearing the kind of fruit that you'd like to be bearing, well, look at some of these principles. Look at some of these things. Don't rest with that. You're called to be a fruit bearer. Third, Take a look at your home. Examine your home. Ask together as a family, what are we producing? Is your home characterized by work and by production, or is your home characterized by comfort and consumption? Which characterizes it? In a Proverbs kind of way. Proverbs works in black and whites, doesn't, doesn't deal with grays. Which characterizes your home? And are there a few things you can do to change it, to make it more productive? Number four, a practical one and unsurprising from me, grow one flower and one vegetable plant. Okay? If you don't deal with flowers and with vegetable plants, just one. One flower, one vegetable plant. Do it with your kids, and if you don't have kids, just do it with yourself, because there's, there are lessons that can be learned from flowers, things of beauty, from a tomato vine and taking care of it, that just, they just, I guess they can be learned other ways, but golly, they're so biblically rooted for fruit bearing. Take time to do those simple things. And finally, five, pray for the Lord of the harvest. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. I prayed earlier in the sermon, Psalm 90. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, the work of our hands, establish it. Pray the Lord of the harvest that you will be a laborer, that you will be sent out to be productive in his harvest fields. And the same thing for your kids, same thing for your family. A couple of quotes. Charles Bridges, one of my favorite old authors. Industry was the law of paradise. Again, man was not born to be a stone without energy. Our true happiness is active dependence. Habits of diligence are the means of working it out fruitfully. Idleness is a sin against God, against one's neighbor, against one's self. And of the Proverbs 31 woman, he writes, her personal habits are full of energy. Her whole soul is in her work. The rule of St. Benedict, even monks get this. Idleness is the enemy of the soul, and therefore the brethren ought to be employed in manual labor at certain times and at others in sacred reading.
I got to put this in the final as I, as I close it, just, just the context and just a few sentences. Jesus is the grain of wheat that has fallen into the earth, that has died and buried, and Jesus is now bearing much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Fruitfulness is rooted in Jesus, the tender vine who became the tree, who now is the tree of life, bearing much fruit already. His disciples are proven, and God is glorified as we produce fruit. Listen to his words, Jesus' words. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He has given his spirit to bring forth fruit in our lives. Jesus commands us to diligent stewardship according to the talents, according to the circumstances, the families, the situations, the minds, the hearts, the abilities that have been entrusted to us. Okay, we're not talking about a homogenized production facility here. You are to produce according to the way that God made you and according to the gifts and the circumstances that God has given to you. Not that he's given to me, not that he's given to the person sitting in front of you or behind you. But he expects talents to be invested and to produce return. Home is the biblical base for production, and we are called to work with our hands. And in that way, an imperative is set before us, joy is set before us, satisfaction is set before us, reward is set before us. Proverbs are proffered to promote productivity. Hear then the command again in all of its many manifestations and beautifully varied expressions. Be fruitful. Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the vine and we are the branches. We have to abide in you and so bear much fruit. Help us so to do by faith, by trust in you, by regularly, daily, actively committing ourselves to your care and then working in your name. At the vocations that you've given to us, the families that you've entrusted to us, with the spiritual gifts that you've given to us for the building up of your, camp, of your kingdom. We pray that you would bring forth fruit in our lives individually and as families, and then particularly for us here as a church as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.